listening to Pop Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio. I'm Greg Masters, Managing Director of Health Innovation Media, publisher of ACOWatch.com, and your Pop Health Week co-host with my partner co-founder, Fred Goldstein, President of Accountable Health, LLC, a Jacksonville, Florida-based consulting firm. Our guests today are Sita Kapoor, Chief Information Officer, Health EC, and Robert Shea Whistler, Manager, Population Health, Shore Quality Partners. CETA is a healthcare IT entrepreneur and innovative leader directing Health EC's research and development team, applying mathematical and computing models in the custom development of large-scale data integration and analytics solutions that empower physicians and healthcare organizations to identify and engage at-risk patients requiring closer medical attention. She is also actively involved in HIPAA workgroups charged with defining consent and transaction standards. Prior to Health EC, CETA was co-founder and CIO of IGI Health, a provider of IT solutions and BPO services. There she built the MedLink Clearinghouse that allowed provider organizations working with any billing system to capture and convert data into discrete data formats for claims adjudication. Robert Shea Whistler is the manager of population health at Shore Quality Partners. Shea is responsible for analytic process development around efficient use of network resources, diagnosis and procedure-driven program development strategies, and high-risk patient reporting through claims and disease registry hotspotting. So, Fred, over to you. Help us get to know both CETA and Shay. Thank you so much, Greg. And uh, CETA, welcome to Pop Health Week. Thank you very much. I appreciate the time and um, look forward to talking to you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on the show and looking forward to learning more about Health EC. And Shay, welcome to you as well. Hi, Fred. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, pleasure. It's great. So, Sita, perhaps we could start by you giving us a little bit of background on yourself and then tell us a little bit about a Healthy C and uh, some of the work they do. Sure. So, I'm basically a data scientist and a computer geek. Been in this industry in the healthcare space for over 30 years, building solutions in the data connectivity, clearing houses, HIEs, and now in the pop health area. Um, I am the current CIO and co founder as well as the uh, enterprise architect for the system we have at HealthyC. Um, HealthyC itself is a, uh, with a vision to allow everyone to be connected, and um, it is in the population health area where we integrate data from uh, varied sources and bring it out into a community health record so we can get data from health plans, from EMRs, from patients themselves, from care coordinators who are doing assessments, uh, from labs, from medication sources, PBMs, and aggregate it into a longitudinal record. And then from there, we drive actionable insights into the Care Connect platform, which is a fully um, 
standalone system to do care coordination in the in, in the community space. That means not in a hospital or a doctor's area, but taking the data from all of them and trying to take better care of the patient. And analytics, which drive a lot of the um, key performance indicators, quality measures, which help us uh, identify patients that need certain type of uh, interventions and uh, prompt uh, the providers or the care coordinators on how to better take care of the patients. So that is in a nutshell what Healthy C and Sita Kapoor is. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Thanks so much, Sita. And I know that you talked about bringing together this disparate data sets and working with them for the providers and care managers, et cetera. And you do quite a bit of work, I think, for providers. Is that correct? And a number of ACOs as well? That's correct. So our uh, primary uh, um audience are accountable care organizations, the ACOs, or clinically integrated networks, the CINs, and um, the data is being aggregated from them as well as the insurance companies and the labs and given back to the providers to take actionable, you know, uh, for them to drive their shared savings, um, value-based contracts, and uh, use cases like that. Uh-huh. And and with your system, are most of these provider groups doing their own care management then and using your, your system as the platform to do that? I would say we are at, at about a 50-50. Uh, we do have um, a lot of the providers who are using the care coordination tools to do what we refer to as chronic care management or transition of cares or quality gap closures. We have some of them that are using the full suites from assessments to taking care of the patients. But we do have some providers, some organizations that may already have a tool or uh, want to continue to do uh, um, things within their EMR. So I would say there's a good 50-50 split right now. And those that are using an EMR tool, are they still using yours then for the analytics and the and the value they can drive from doing the, the, that on their data? Yes, that's correct. So they will still use us for the data analytics and the quality measures that we generate out of our system, and they may do the documentation for the patient within their EMRs themselves. Mm-hmm. And there's been a you know fairly varied response from H- from ACOs as to how successful they've been in this. And I noticed on your website, actually, that you recently reported that you'd, your clients had saved about $64.9 million in 2018, which is not an insubst- unsubstantial sum, obviously, quite a bit. What do you credit that to in terms of your role and what the ACOs themselves are doing with that? So our role is not only getting the data, doing the analytics on it, but we also kind of provide an ad, uh, advisory role to our clients that have been able to save this money. A uh, few of them are, are also using our care coordination tool. So what we do is based upon the key performance indicators, like is their ER rates high or is the readmissions high, or are we looking at a very few PCP visits, which is driving the cost in the specialty area to be high. So we look at about 20 uh, key performance indicators, and we drive from there what are the places where they could find the big savings, you know, or the big uh, the big bang for the for, for the work effort they're going to put in there. And we kind of give them a quarterly report, which then helps them drive some of their strategies uh, within their practices or the messaging they're giving to it. For example, for one of them, what we did was we looked at the data and we said, you're getting chronic care management dollars in. Just get your patient into your office every month. 
and that drove the ER rates down, helping them save money. Then you have the IDD population in New York, where we actually embedded two care coordinators to look at the high-risk patients. And instead of them going to the ER, we put a we advised them that if they could just put a kiosk and do a teleconference with the with the, with the provider, uh, we need not drive them to the ER, and that helped with that population over there. So depending upon the population of the ACO, the drivers are, are different, you know. And um, quality measures is another one where if every provider has given their scores at the beginning of the year and the middle of the year, and we try to drive that to be as high as possible or closer to the benchmark, um, the incentive there is if there are shared savings and your quality measures are better, you're going to get more money in your pocket. That drives them to make sure at least the preventive measures, you know, the mammal programs are done, the uh, immunizations are in place, you know, or your, um, if you're a diabetic patient, you had a lab visit every three months. So those type of, you know, I'm just giving a few of them top of my head that we have helped our clients to focus on. And since we've been doing this since 2013, we've found out the things that work for us. Um, one of them really was, you know, if they could just go and renegotiate some of their home health or send more or get skilled nursing in, that would help instead of seeing the readmissions. So some mm-hmm. of the advices we have given have helped our clients save money. Right. So, And some of this, obviously, is, is with these ACOs I mentioned where you showed some of those savings, but you're obviously working also with clients who are taking value-based contracts that are not ACO-related, mm-hmm. and in those cases they are able to, as you said, renegotiate rates or you've identified yes. those types of areas for them? Yes, we have. So... Um, I mean, sure quality is on the line, and they have, they're part of an ACO, an MSSB ACO, plus they also then went on and negotiated contracts with the, the Big Blue in, in Jersey to be able to do value-based contracts. Now, the confidence, you know, that, that we had was, hey, if you look at your population and we find the, the right population where you can give the maximum impact, we are then able to give back to you as to what you know what the strategy should be. And of course it's a collaboration, not just us telling them. It's them also looking at their own data because the three D analytic platform allows super users to access the data and run some insights themselves. So it's a collaboration to say, this is what the tool is, this is what our advice is from the past and then to come up with a methodology from for them to do better to get the shared savings. Mm-hmm. And do you also work with some of those alternative payment models such as bundles or capitation as well and begin to uh, analyze that work? Um, we just started off with about two of the bundles, the hip and the knee bundle, and I think the mm-hmm. cardio bundle with one of the big IDNs. Those are mostly hospital-based bundles that we are looking at. Or the oncology care models, uh, which is your uh, on the, um, the cancer patients. So, uh, yes, we have dwelled upon it but not gone as deep as one should go. Uh, capitation is coming up. We are uh, sensitive to you know how to address that at this time and are coming up with a strategy on it. Yeah, fantastic. The uptake's been a little bit slow on some of those, so obviously you don't want to run too far out in front of that. And uh, Shay, yeah. you know, maybe a little transition here. You as the provider, how have you used this platform and where have you found it most valuable uh, for Sure Quality Partners? So we've used the platform uh, specifically at SQP, and we um, we deliver we use their 3D analytics every day. 
their insights that their their reports that they have and their insights allow us to identify you know ED visits or high risk members, inpatient stays, readmissions, and and from there we provide them to the actual providers and give them lists of patients on you know here's here's your high risk ones we need to you know bring these patients in or who hasn't been seen we need to bring those patients in so it's been a big help you know the Healthy C has been you know giving us insight into our own data has been tremendous. And are there any areas that you you found that maybe you weren't you weren't necessarily aware of anything in the data that you showed up said wow that's something we didn't really expect? Yeah, I mean we I go back to the um patients that that weren't seen. Um mm-hmm. you know, we weren't when you're dealing with providers, they see what's in front of their face and they don't know what's outside the office. So by looking by using Healthy C and having that data, we were able to identify a lot of patients that we're still on our panel, but just haven't been into the office for whatever reason, whether they're going to a different PCP, you know, down the street, or they're just a non-compliant patient. We were able to identify those patients and, you know, either bring them into the office to be seen, to see what's going on, or attribute them if, if they're not our patient anymore. So it gave us kind of a smaller scale that we were able to work with you know, with the providers. Yeah, so I guess particularly in the in the MSSP world where these Medicare uh, individuals, the beneficiaries can go wherever they want, that's obviously a major problem with network leakage. So by pulling this data together, you were able to get that kind of information and then target those people and bring them back in? That's absolutely right. So like you said, with the Medicare population, they can go anywhere. We were, we're now able to see where they're actually going, make sure the providers have a conversation on why they're going there. So it just gives us better insight into what's going on. Got it. And were there any particular d- diseases? I've got a big interest in chronic care management, having worked in that area. Any specific areas you focused on in terms of that and use some analytics around that? We did in our diabetic population. Mm-hmm. Um, we were able to identify our, our, our diabetic population. Um, we were able to identify, you know, that they're costing a whole bunch more money, obviously, um, than our non-diabetic population. So we were able to um, hire a diabetic educator to be on site with these patients. We're able to hire another um, endocrinologist within and, and recruit another endocrinologist within our SQP network to better serve these patients. So, so our diabetic population was a big target in the beginning. And obviously it takes some time to see some results from some of those things, but did you notice any particular quality indicators uh, or, or utilization indicators in terms of your diabetes management that improved or got better? Um, it was. So we had, when we first started, just A1C tests were very low. So we were able to get a lot of patients in just to get their A1C tests to see where they were at. And then also those patients, those diabetic patients that we looked at, they were high ED utilizers as well. So we were able to, again, kind of go have some, some more insight into them and to kind of hone into those patients to see why they're going to the ED. And is it diabetic related or is it non-diabetic related and, and, and kind of work with them on a more granular level to get them you know, the care that they need. That's fantastic. And Cita talked about quality metrics and some of the other measures as well. How did how did you guys do? I, I think I talked to Cliff uh, last week, and uh, you guys apparently had a pretty good year with your uh, MSSP. How how did that look from a quality perspective and a savings perspective? Yeah, so our, our MSSP we've uh, we've been in since 2017, and we've hit um, our shared savings in 2017 and 2018, and we're also in our uh, value based commercial contract as well. And out of three out of the last four years, we've had shared savings with that as well. And our quality metrics, we've hit at the 90th percentile on our commercial side the last three years as well. So it's really been, we've, um, we've had some, 
some shortcomings in the beginning, but we really kind of focused on our, our quality metrics these last three years and have really done a tremendous job. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, so I'm going to ask a little bit of a tough question. I know Sita's sitting there. When you went to implement this system from Health EC, how was it? What sort of things should providers consider or think about? Were there any difficulties, things to kind of work through maybe in a different way? What did you learn in doing that? You know, the biggest, the biggest challenge implementing it was just a kind of, and, and this was a kind of a Health EC issue, but it was also our issue as well, was just identifying, you know, who was in our network and who was out of our network. Because we're always looking at you know, who's going outside of our network, who's staying inside of our network and just identifying those providers and then trying to, to make sure that they're actively in our network and it shows up in our network so we can report it correctly. I mean, that was probably the biggest lift that we had. It took us, you know, a good seven, eight months, you know, to be able to get that fine tuned up. But we knew if we, we did it right on the, on the, on the initial start that, you know, on the back end savings and the back end work would, would pay off. So that was kind of the biggest, the biggest obstacle that we had in the beginning, everything mm-hmm. else pretty much went smoothly. You know, uh, the, the training was fantastic, you know, all throughout. So it, it, that was probably the biggest lift. That's, that's great. And so Cedar, let me take that question sort of back to you. As you think about it from the provider side, what recommendations would you give to them as they go to look at these systems or look to implement them or look to better understand their populations? I think one of the most important things is they need a champion within their organization. So mm-hmm. in the case of uh, show quality with Cliff and Shea over there, and they're see, you know, uh, taking, being the champions was very important. Sometimes we will walk in some place and there is no champion. There is no leadership. There is no thought, thought or a vision there. If there is a good champion and then a clinician clinician who's a champion too it really helps with the implementation process that we go through and also like mentioned that it is important to have the network very well identified because it's so important that the the data that we that we work with you know is a is really a is a combination of information we get from the providers and the payers, and when we don't find them matching up, that is when we end up going in a bit of circles and saying, "Hey, the payer is saying these four docs are in your network," and the network saying, or the value based, the owners of of the value based contract are saying, "No, they are not," and you know you go back and forth on getting what we call the accurate beneficiary list or the accurate mm-hmm. attribution to the primary care to the to the. Uh, to the physician level. So I think that is what I would say would be our biggest challenge going into an, a new implementation. Mm-hmm. And let me ask you a, a different look at on network. Is it you're, you're bringing disparate data systems together and obviously have experienced that. Are there any difficulties you found with the technical components of trying to do that now or the systems pretty much work themselves out and it's a lot easier today than it was a few years back? I would say compared to even three years back, it has become a lot easier. Uh, most of the EMR vendors have got, we've got a process going with them. Some of them still are a bit of a challenge with the data they provide to us. We end up kind of sometimes become their quality gate because we find the issues before their own quality people who produce those data sets gave it to us. So, you know, those are a bit of the challenges. Some of them is pricing challenges. Some of them obviously don't want to share data with another pop health vendor, so they kind of make it more difficult. That a bit of them we are still trying to overcome, or they will give us a new method of getting it, or you know, 
12 week mm-hmm. implementation cycles in there uh, i won't name the emrs right now but <laughs> we do we do run into those challenges another thing is you know we've got into getting data from the emrs obviously as you get more sophisticated Providers are saying, why can't it be bidirectional? Why can't you send it back into my chart so that the care coordinator work or the care manager work comes back into my EMR so that when I'm seeing the patient, I'm able to be more uh, proactive. Some of the EMRs we are starting to work bidirectional with, and they're very, you know, they're very receptive to it. Some are a challenge. You know, if the patient doesn't exist in my EMR, they're in the network. The beneficiaries are assigned, like she mentioned, to the to the practice. But until they create a record for that, they're not able to take the data, consume the data in. So, you know, some of those challenges, I think in the next few years, we will hopefully iron out to make it more seamless, you know, to not mm-hmm. to have to go to two systems to be able to do the work. Absolutely. Great point. So let me turn back to Shay. I was a bit remiss, Shay, and I didn't give you an opportunity to introduce yourself. So perhaps take a little bit of time and do that, please. <laughs> no problem. So my name is Shea Wilson. I'm the manager of uh, Population Health for Short Quality Partners. Um, I've been here for a little over two years. Uh, Short Quality Partners is a CIN in South Jersey. Um, We have a MSSP program. We have value-based deals with commercial and Medicaid. We cover about 35,000 lives in total. Like I I said earlier, we've we've done you know pretty well on our shared on our uh, bonus programs. We've hit three out of four bonuses in the last for our commercial program and uh, two out of the last two for our Medicare program. That's, that's really fantastic. Thanks. And let me ask you this. How far out do, do you distribute this data or give access to the system when you looked at it and decided, hey, are you pushing it all the way out to the front lines or do you have a certain place where they then take a look at it and then feed that out to, further? When we initially started, we – we trial and error with giving access to the providers and to the, the, the mm-hmm. actual practices. It was probably a little bit too early to start doing that. Mm-hmm. They were just a little bit too overwhelmed with the data. So everything right now comes into short quality partners and we, you know, go from there and we'll go out to all the practices and, and, you know, provide their data to them. We are now though, now that we've been around for, I don't know, five years, we've, We've got providers wanting access to Healthy C directly and, and their data directly so they can do things, you know, on their own. So that's kind of a, it's taken time to get there, but we've got uh, practices and providers really engaged now with the data. Well, that's fantastic. So they're actually asking for it now, which is great because you always wonder as you set these systems up, you know, how far out do I start with that? Do I get everybody trained all the way out there? It's a lot of work, you know, or do we do it? It sounds like you've taken sort of a step-by-step approach. We'll bring the data into a group. We'll then begin to distribute it out to providers. And in terms of your group, is it a, is it doctors and hospitals? What's the, what's the structure of that? We have a hospital. We're owned by a hospital. And then we have um, a mm-hmm. physician group hospital. And then we've got a whole bunch of talent. In SQP, we have about 280, uh, both primary care and specialists in our, in our network. And about 10 of those are primary care practice that are, the patients are attributed to. Mm-hmm. And you you obviously identify issues with providers both inside and outside the network through this mm-hmm. through the Healthy Seas platform. How do you deal with that, and what's been the response from providers? As you've said, wait a second, here's what your numbers look like. Uh, we need to make those better. Um, you know, in the beginning, it was it was a challenge just because you know a lot of these a lot of these practices and providers have longstanding relationships. You know, whether it's primary care to specialists or specialists to specialists, they've got long-standing 
relationships with each other. So once we started showing them the data and of course the bonuses, they, uh, they, they help tremendously when we can put money in their pocket. <laughs> that, that was, you know, that really kind of started the, the, the train down, you know, to get them to be involved. But we, we show them, you know, what, what specialists, you know, how, what's the cost differential, what's the utilization differential. And usually they, you know, they have no idea. They've never had insight to their, to their specialist data. It is a kind of a, a tricky situation. Like I said, a lot of them have relationships. You know, there's sometimes where, you know, one primary care or one specialist, you know, they trust another specialist. It's just the trust thing. So we have had those conversations before. It's an ongoing process. We're starting to go down this road, especially when you're talking about the MSSP going to risk. Now we've kind of got to, you know, we've got to have some some preferred lists here of specialists that we want to use and that we want to utilize, you know, more often than not. So those, those discussions are ongoing. They're not always the the best discussions, but you know, for us, it's not as short quality partners. We're not telling the physicians or the providers of the practices these are the specialists that you're using they're actively engaged and they're the ones really driving what specialists they're going to use so they're all in a room we just you know we give the data and we kind of let them let them go from there so from their standpoint it's a really big collaboration you know on their standpoint Mm -hmm. as well and so how do you feel about the recent change to pathways to success we all knew it was kind of coming the question was when you know, I think we're ready to get there. We're, and, you know, nobody's fully ready to get there, but I think we're, we're, we're really close to get there. And this is kind of the push we needed. Like I said, we're, we're, we understood it was coming down the line. And, and the way Medicare set this up, there's, it's, you know, there's some good upside. There's obviously downside, but there's some really good upside that you can have as mm-hmm. well. So I think it's a good baby step for us to take it and to really kind of get the physicians, you know, on board. We were just talking the, uh, earlier this morning uh, a lot of our physicians are starting to get a little antsy now because we're getting to the end of the year and we're almost getting into risk. So we're starting to get a little antsy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some of the people looked at it as a negative. We looked at it as a positive because they're paying attention, they're engaged, they know what's going on. So I, I think we're getting there. And I think, you know, as long as they continue to, you know, look at the data and be engaged, I think we'll be in good shape. Yeah, I mean, as they say, past performance is indicative of future behavior. It sounds like you've done pretty well, so I anticipate you'll probably do, do just fine under the newer model. And, uh, Sita, we have just a few minutes left. Can you tell us sort of what's the next evolution for Health EC? What are you looking at building in the platform or other needs you may have? I would say the next evolution is uh, we're already starting to build it. We'll probably come out within the next two years. Uh, we're using a lot of machine learning and AI tools to start doing predictions and more refined, uh, you know, readmission for diabetics, not just overall readmissions, but looking at past data. That is one. The second one is trying to create pathways from the patterns we see physicians doing in that community, not just generic pathways that we have in the country for medical, but, you know, for that particular population, what are we seeing that's working for them? And how do we then put that in front of a clinical group and say, hey, this is what we're seeing. This is where we're seeing the best results, not just cost, but results, and trying to get that to them using machine learning and AI. Mm-hmm. That's one path. And the second we really feel is the patient engagement, which not just the care coordinator calling the patient, but the patient starting to use this data to give better feedback. For example, for the oncology patients, if you think of pain management, no one is actually recording what the patient is doing 
post-chemo and um, trying to build those simple assessments, simple medication reconciliations or care alerts for actions that they can take on their own behalf or a care coordinator can take on their behalf. Those are where we think the next two big, um, the, the move to the pop health is going to be. Well, that's that's great. Thank you so much, Sita, and I really want to thank you for joining us here on Pop Health Week, and Shay, thank you as well. Back to you, Greg. And thank you, Fred. That is the last word for today's broadcast. I want to thank Sita Kapoor, Chief Information Officer, Healthy C, and Robert Shea Whistler, Manager, Population Health at Shore Quality Partners, for their time and insights today. For more information or to follow Healthy C's work, go to www.healthec.com and follow them on Twitter via at healthec underscore LLC. For Pop Health Week, my colleague Fred Goldstein and Healthcare Now Radio, this is Greg Masters saying bye now. Bye now.